You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast, one of the greatest volleyball minds in the world, especially in North America, and he runs our national team program in terms of the development aspect of it. He's our high-level development coach for the Canadian national team program. And what's interesting is he is probably one of the most technical and precise coaches that I've ever worked with. So get ready to take notes. We dive into serve reception, float serve reception, sorry, spin serve reception, float serve reception, as well as some attacking. So if you're driving, you're definitely going to want to come back to this and listen to it again. Um, if you're not driving, take some notes. Uh, there's a lot of information here. And also, if you are a Digital Volleyball Academy member, you get access to the video of this interview because sometimes uh, in, in the interviews he'll be explaining a lot of things that he shows on camera that I do my best to explain. So if you can't see the video, you can, you can still get a good idea of it. But if you're a DVA member, you have access to the full video where you can see him execute some of these movements um, as well. All right. But regardless, it's an episode you definitely don't want to miss. I'm super excited about this interview. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 126 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. Uh, super excited about today's episode. Um, I've kind of been, I've kind of been hinting at this episode coming uh, for a while now. We have a special guest, but before we get to our special guest, just want to read our latest review. Um, uh, this latest review is by JD2420. Um, it says, don't pass this up. This pod improved my coaching without question. Great topics, ideas, and explanations, and coach's voice and speaking style are super engaging. Well, JD2420, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that feedback, and I'm glad you think my uh, speaking style is engaging. That's that's kind of it's nice to know, you know, on the pod that you guys are actually not boring. You're not bored when, when you hear me talk. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but thank you so much for that review. I really appreciate it. And for the rest of you out there, um, if you have any reviews, any feedback, p- please reach out. Uh, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast is to continue educating coaches and growing this game. At the end of the day, the goal, I, you hear me say it every week, the goal of the podcast is to give you tangible things that you can take back to your gym and apply right away. So you can help improve yourself as a coach and your team. Um, and we're all about creating the ultimate experience for your athletes. And hopefully that leads to winning championships. So I uh, really appreciate that comment. And for the rest of you, yeah, any any feedback is greatly appreciated. But let's get to why you're here today. And I'm super excited to welcome this individual on the podcast. This person, um, well, in Canada, actually, in my opinion, he's probably one of the, the best volleyball development coaches in, in the world. And it's proven by the players that he works with. He's a former national team player. I believe he played for 15 years on the national team, then slowly transitioned his way into coaching. He also played professionally in France, Poland, and Slovenia. Uh, I think he won a couple of Polish cups over there and, and some other championships. And he now runs our, um, our our national excellence program here in Canada. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically like a, a full-time, I mean, it used to be called the full-time training center. And that's essentially what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a place where players can go and, and train full-time all year round where they can then hopefully play pro and uh, national team aspirations and things like that. And I can tell you, uh, you guys know in the pod, I have pro players in my gym all the time over the summer, uh, getting touches if they live in Toronto and without, any hesitation. Anytime I say, Hey, you know, what's, what's going on with that? They're like, well, this guy, Dan, Dan taught me this. Dan, Dan showed me this. Well, Dan said this and, uh, it is amazing. And I've actually attended a live training and I've been coaching this game for 15 years. And I attended a live training, um, from this, this guest that we're going to have, and it blew my mind. So I can't wait to dive into stuff today. And I'm so excited to welcome Dan Lewis, head coach, Dan Lewis. What's up, man? Thanks for coach. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, so just really quickly, you know, let's get, let's get, for those of our, we have listeners from over a hundred different countries, um, you know, all over, all around the world. Uh, if they don't know who Dan Lewis is, you want to just give them a little background on who you are and how, you know, how you, how you 
how you got to this position? Well, how far back you want to go? You know, like, uh, how far uh, back you want to take? Oh, how far back <laughs> is relevant? I guess I don't know. Well, I, first of all, I wanted to be Joe Montana, so that was my <laughs> earliest childhood memory of sports. You know, um, but I was good at throwing the football, right? So throwing the football actually is really the mechanics are quite similar to spiking. So that's uh, that's probably why I could spike at a young age. Well, and then you know, if you have success at a young age, uh, you're gonna be you're gonna kind of lean into that. So um, started in club in Oakville, Toronto area, and that was back in the day when you you had kind of um, we had midget juvenile junior. So you had two years, right. not, not every year set up. I mean, already we could talk about that. I think, I, I think a lot of kids miss opportunities to play up in everyday training and, and also competitions. I know some guys will, you know, like you'll see you 16 guys at you 17 events and that's super important, but day in and day out when I was in club, I was always playing against guys older than me. And, uh, one, one good thing too, was in that club, the club I was in, it was aligned that like you could see the juniors training. God, did you just want to get in there, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to even just talk about there about just being able to play up and, and train up, compete every day, because you really, you, you have to prove yourself right away at a young age. So I think, I know we'll leave it for that, but that's, that's one thing um, that I did a lot early. And uh, actually I had a lot of exposure on the beach um, in Toronto. There was quite a, quite a big beach scene back in the day. Um, I, uh, one thing I, I like to share sometimes, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, a hundred percent part of the development or not of myself and um, why I had maybe success at an early age, but I didn't play a provincial team. And I'm not saying that don't play a provincial team, obviously, but uh, it was just my pathway. It took me to the beach. I played a lot of beach volleyball, um, spent a lot of days every summer from like when I was 16, 17, 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. I played beach volleyball every day, all day. And uh, the, the only thing it lacked is it lacked structure. <laughs> and fitness so i probably would have got a little bit more of that in the provincial team it might have been better for that anyway so then uh after that um we had some success early in the beach so that really re-motivated me and then i was kind of stuck in between beach and in court for a while there in my early 20s now that that probably hurt me more than helped me at that point because i needed to probably specialize a little bit more and then, and then again there was no structure at that time on the beach it was a kind of doggy dog world um, a lot of great characters out there. <clears throat> Just uh, the overall training environment and stuff was really tough. You had to, you had to, you were responsible kind of for your own stuff back then. And uh, we ended up at university after playing club for a while there. We had some success in our club. Um, went to University of Manitoba and uh, trained and played under Garth Pischke for a few years. Uh, first year was really, really great um, in terms of like how well we did and like, being like my debut in the university, I was super motivated and, and engaged and, and we had, we won the championship that year. That was, that was super exciting. And the next year, this was probably the, the for me, the most memorable kind of mistake I made in my own development was just at that point, having early success all the time just killed me in that second year university. And I was just melting down and um, I lacked mentorship and I lacked, I just, I don't, you know, I, Garth was an awesome coach and stuff, but I was just out of control. I was so, and, uh, I, so I left, I went to play pro a year after that, right away after a second year university, um, got hurt in the middle of the season, came back, just decided I needed to probably get my degree before I moved on anywhere else. Played a few more years at university. We ended up winning another championship under Garth for my last year. Um, that was a much more structured, uh, team and, and, uh, it was, a, it was a good season, but uh, in the end, went back to pro um, and still not really understanding like volleyball at the international uh, level. And that's, that's where there's this big divide. It's closing. I think the gap is closing between the universities um, in Canada and, and the international game. But uh, back then, it was, it was still pretty wide. So ended up in the kind of like treading water in France and I started in Switzerland treading water in France is barely surviving in the pro scene. And, and then I got an opportunity to, I was in and out of the national team cause I was so volatile mm -hmm. and I uh, <clears throat> got a chance to uh, Glenn took over the program in 2006. And that was my opportunity. Okay. I got, I said to myself, okay, clean your act up. You got one more chance here. And then I went back to the program and 
And then it was just probably me, right? The right time for me to accept and understand like, okay, it's, it's time to go back to being a learner, you know? So right. it was great. And then, uh, you know, from there, it's been, been amazing under his mentorship and some other mentors that I had along the way, we can get into that. Um, and yeah, I never looked back playing, just kept going. At that point, I got, I got a lucky break. We went to a tournament in, in uh, Poland and, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I tell Freddie, I don't know if Freddie will remember this, but winter is right. But we were playing on that in Poland in that tournament. He didn't play that one game in that one game. So I was playing and we were like, I was usually, it was me and him from what I remember playing, but, uh, for whatever reason, like he probably would have played and I wouldn't have. And then I had a really great game and the coach of Skraba helped off, which is one of the better, better Polish teams at the time. Mm-hmm was they needed a left side because they had an injury and it's just by chance I got to play in Poland. And then I, I had success, early success again. It's like my first year, wherever I go, I always do well. <laughs> you know? and, then, and then it slowly fades. So yeah, that was great. Got to play in Poland there for a few years, went from, went over with Glenn to uh, Aseha in Slovenia. Like Slovenia itself is a little bit weaker league, smaller country, obviously only like 2 million people, great national team, um, tons of athletes. Um, but they get to play in Champions League. So we had a really young team. We went to, well, I went to Final Four with Scraw, but I also went to Final Four in Champions League with Aseha. That was, that was a pretty incredible journey. And then started to, that, that's when I started to play libero. Like I switched from left side to, to libero and about that time due to injury. Um, anyways, I was, that was kind of my specialty was the backcourt reception and stuff like that. So played, uh, played over there and then, ended up basically coming back and there was like a, a pretty good time opportunity in a window when I was about 40 years old I, I stopped playing my last year when I was 40 that's pretty good yeah I was like I, I was happy like when I I started to really get into health and taking care of my body and stuff like that because I was I was just broken my whole career I had two surgeries and finally I just started you know just trying to like I was always a good observer but then I, I just didn't reflect enough you know mm-hmm. and anyway so Played till I was 40, came back, and there was an opportunity to transfer right into an assistant coaching role with NEP under Vincent Pichette at the time, and I got really lucky to work in that program. Um, and at that time, like we had talked about briefly, there was like there was a new opportunity for your getting your certificate, your coaching certificate, because at the time I had uh, I had a couple of kids, and well, I still have a couple of kids, obviously, and then um, they, uh, you know, I couldn't, I just, I just couldn't, I had to provide for that family right away. So unless there was an opportunity to start coaching right away at some level where I could support the family, like I was, I was going to have to get a different job. Right. So they make their, they're trying to develop programs to help athletes like in that scenario transfer to coaching. So that's, that's available. Um, it's just, it's just costs a lot and it's hard to do. It's the same price basically as doing your master's and Right. Um, it was an incredible experience. So then I started tu- tutoring. Like I had my mentors. I actually had Glenn as a mentor. And then I had Stefan Antigua as a mentor because I was working with him. And then I had a third mentor that was kind of the guide of the program, Pierre Trudel. And uh, he's awesome. This just incredible. He's basically, uh, he helps uh, professors gain tenure at university. And he's just basically incredibly good at guided reflection. Mm-hmm. And this is what really started to like open up my eyes and, uh, and let me use kind of my observation. Like I always, like I said, I was good at skilled observation and, and I really enjoy obviously volleyball and movements. And I really like like athletic like movements. I never took kinesiology, but I, I kind of feel like I, I would have been fun in there. Right. So anyway, so then that happened. And now, you know, like I was able to stay at NEP. Um, I have some other coaching aspirations and stuff like that. But right now for the time, my family and my life, this is like a really perfect spot that I could be into to help NEP kind of transform over the, over the few years we went from FTC to NEP to, to approaching and trying to train younger athletes. Like the women's side has had a lot of success doing this. We're modeling ours on that, but there's still need, I think for the old FTC program. And actually like when I hear you talk about your scenario, you know, I'm like, we almost need like uh, national team affiliates like yourself who provide these opportunities for this, this transfer period between university and pro. And that's such a great opportunity for guys to keep playing, right. you know, and then they can coach and train on the side as well. But this, this is amazing because without it, you know, like we're, we're, we're at a deficit early because we start late and we, we don't have the same developmental program as the pro guys. Like, Right. Like yesterday I was looking at yes champion. I want to, I want to see some of their trainings. So I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to the coach at yes champion to watch some of their trainings. And, uh, I'm looking at the picture. Like I'm looking at all these guys. They got like Bouye, uh, the little setter Tanui from, uh, 
from France is on there. Um, Klebno on the left. So you got all these heroes. And then there's this right. little Polish libero that is not, it's not Zatorski. It's the second libero. And he's really good at spin reception. So I want to model him for spin reception for my players. And then I looked at the other libero on the photo and mm -hmm. he looks like he's 12 years old, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, you have a, you have a 15 year old kid playing with these guys in pro right now. That's crazy. And our yeah. 15 year old kids are literally like, well, they're playing you 15. So it just, that's, that's what causes this big gap, right? The very best in, in some of these, these countries that have professional leagues, you know, you're 17. Like when I played in Aseha, we went to final four. I was playing with Kovacevic, the lefty from Serbia. He was 17. I was 35. Right. Actually, it's funny. I was talking to a sports agent, a volleyball agent. He, he said the same thing. That's the toughest part of North American athletes going over because we, we come over at 22 and 23 versus yeah. the guys that are starting at 15, 16, 17, like you mentioned. Right. So it's true. Right. You know, yeah. so like I, the earliest, the, the youngest guys I played with were 17, 18, but they were, you know, um, Kovacevic was starting. With me. And he's <laughs> like, so I don't know if I'm saying his name right because that's also the coach's name too, Igor. That was yeah. that was coaching, but Yurosh, uh, um, you know, and he's right. he's just so much fun to watch. Anyways, like I can just, I'm just yeah. I'll start giggling if I think. No worries, guys. Like, All right, let's let's transition a little bit, man. That's so. Thank yeah. you so much for that background. That's pretty cool. Like your journey to to, to coaching at this, like, and where you are now. Um, now I know. I get really excited when we talk about player development anytime and listening and he hearing about you talk about player development is, is exciting. So let's start off with the, the most, the most important, well, arguably the most important skill, but the one that every coach always wants to learn more about that's reception. That's passing. So mm -hmm. let's take it. Let's take passing a little bit from the ground up here. If you were to, you know, come to a team brand and a new team, let's just say they're like, you know, mid tier, like 15, 16, you, we're not talking about just the basic fundamentals, like putting your hands together, thumbs down. I'm talking like, you know, they kind of have an ideal of how to create a platform kind of per se. How would you approach that team to teach the reception? Teach passing. Yeah. Well, first of all, I wouldn't skip over what you're describing because it's okay, then, let's ignore crucial, what I said. Right? Then. Let's yeah, start with yeah. that then. No, no. Like you say, it's not the basics, but it really is, you know, there's, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing too special about it. So <clears throat> when I teach reception, first thing I would say like to any coach or even athlete, it's adaptation principle. Um, Charles Cardinal, our rest in peace. Um, he recently passed away, but he's a fundamental um, structure for Canadian long-term development. And um, he has, you know, he follows this adaptation principle. So it's, it's the most important thing to understand in training. I think I always, at the beginning of every season, I, I have the definition of it and I put it right on the front of my binder because basically we're trying to help these athletes adapt. And so you need to stress them often enough over a long enough period of time at high enough stress in order to provoke this change. And so with reception, you know, it's something that you're going to have to do every day. Sorry, what is the adaptation principle for those of well, you who don't know what it is? I mean, that's, that's what it is, but basically it's, if you want to provoke this adaptation and, and you want it to stick over, over time, and then we can get about in transferring into the game is basically like, you need to repeat the action often enough over a long enough period of time, um, at the stress that's difficult enough, like at the desired stress and, uh, to, to evoke change and, then you've got to make sure that you're doing it in such a style that you're going to see a transfer into the game, which is when we start to get into like, basically is, are they making, or do you have enough variables in your training? So decision, the decision with the read, the read with the skill. And, you know, some coaches nowadays, they don't want to separate it at all. Um, I have my own kind of thoughts about that. We can get into it later, but let's get to the reception. So if, if I'm, if I'm teaching a skill, um, basically like reception, uh, well, the first thing there's, there's really important. There's three different types of reception. Probably soon there's going to be four, but there's, there's spin reception and float reception. And these are very different. And so you cannot use the same technique and mechanics on these two. Um, you probably can at the younger age, but as soon as the velocity of the spin serve gets to a certain point, you're no longer, the mechanics will change for reception so that's really important distinction to make and then <clears throat> the best thing would be i think 
to teach the the reception in in kind of the float manner and then you, you add the the spin later so in the end i start with always the principles so what i find a lot is you know i would watch when i was a little bit younger i'd watch those coaching um clinics and what i saw start to happen was like you know they would have six or seven different coaches and they would all have something kind of different that they would say oh i like to hold my hands like this or i do this or i do that and they're talking about about a similar part like a similar part of the technique and they do it a little bit differently and in that and that i don't find that as a problem i think what you have to do is you got to break it down to what's the principle what's the principle point that you're discussing and is there something in the mechanics or the technique that you're that you're teaching that is going to prevent the athlete from executing it well under the right stress for the right intensity of what they're looking for so this is the other thing if i'm teaching somebody that just wants to play at the university probably it's, there's going to be a little bit different because the university to professional international level everything increases in speed and power so a certain technique that I use for reception, it worked for university, but not for professional. And I had to adapt my first season of pro or I wasn't going to last. And, you know, not to be too conceited, but I was probably one of the best receivers in Canada when I left university and went pro and I wouldn't have survived there. So I like to talk about the principles. And the first principle for reception is basically, well, it's, it's how you're standing, you know, and how you're getting ready to receive and kind of what you're looking at. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is, is the principle of, of balance and being able to, to move quickly to intercept a projectile because that's what you have to do. So you need to be able to look at sports and you say, okay, first of all, what do you, how are you going to model it, right? Because athletes, they need to see something. So often for reception, I'll be the model. I'll model it myself, but it's really going to help if you have a model for your athletes because most of the athletes are visual learners and they're going to, they're going to need to see it. Um, and then you're going to find out who can see it and replicate it quickly and then who can't. And then you're going to have to find other avenues for the people that can't replicate the model quickly, visually, then you're going to have to find some other things for them. Usually, usually like external cues, of course, are going to help, but also props help. For instance, one guy, he, okay. Anyways, first principle balance and speed intercept the projectile. So you can call it whatever you want, but if you can't do that, you're not going to be a good receiver because you got to get in the right place at the right time. To, to perform the action. So if you look at wrestling, grappling, um, whatever, jujitsu, whatever it is, you, these guys, they have incredible balance and speed to, to shoot. So they can move fast, well, and balanced. So you're going to be in this type of position at some point. And though, so this is where I want to nuance things because what I see, what I see a lot is uh, coaches will say, look, this guy is, is, has his arms out and he's ready to receive, you know? So I see a whole bunch of kids just getting like locked out here, ready to receive. Okay. Hands up, get it in front, you know, because you don't want, especially in float, you don't want that ball to pass where you are in the parallel on the court. The problem is, is that's when you look at really nuance, the reception at the moment of basically contact right when the high level receivers are getting ready to shoot in the direction to intercept a projectile, they're not locked out. They're going to have this type of, Shoulder to elbow is going to be basically gravity. They're going to be, their hands will be a little bit in front of them, but not out and locked out and not down in front. You know, there's like a small bend in their elbow, like a grappler would. So there's a few things for projectile interception. So that's one of them. The other one is like, comes from say baseball. If you're going to, if you're going to interject, you know, intercept a projectile on a moment and you need to, basically give or take energy into that ball and direct it. So you have to be able to be in the right spot at the right moment, but you also need to be able to control the amount of energy that you're going to give in that ball. So this principle of like being able to grapple, to shoot quick is comes from something like, you know, historically wrestling, you can see like, this is one of the, the oldest sports ever and they already know balance very well. So you watch them, you see how they move and fencing. Fencing is very good. Fencing is like the, one of the fastest actions to shoot. You know, they shuffle, they shuffle and they strike quickly. So if you want to be precise and you want to move quick, you need to shuffle. So let's just take float reception. You're going to, you're going to be in some type of grappling position, ready? Because you're going to be balanced and you're going to shuffle 
like a fencer would shuffle. This is the fastest way to move and be precise, in my opinion. So you're going to do this, and then you're going to get into all the mechanics of, of like how you're going to receive the float. So when you're teaching the mechanics, you just, <clears throat> excuse me, you just want to make sure that you try to avoid some of the common errors at first. So for instance, if you've been taught like your thumbs need to be put together, right? I can give you maybe a visual here, you know, but like, so you're getting ready to receive then, you know, and, and they'll be like, put your thumbs together and then you're going to make this platform, right? Well, that's good because you want to create this symmetrical platform start, right? One of the issues is, is that if you put your thumbs together, you tell the kids, hey, put your thumbs together. They're going to do that. They're going to put their thumbs together. But when you put your thumbs together, you flex your chest. You know, so often, just from a fundamental thing of putting your thumbs together, we've created this, this flex here and this force like this. And I need, I need a ball to hit my critical spot here. I need to hit my platform and go in the direction that I want. And I don't want forces going this way or that way. So that's why you sometimes you see guys and you're like wondering how the heck does the ball just like rip to the left or to the right? You know, it look, it's looking like they're contacting it. Well, it's because there's these unnecessary forces. In there. So you want your thumbs together, but you don't want this force. So you have to be, you have to be, so I can't hear you. Sorry, I forgot I was muted. Yeah. Like meaning like bent elbows. You want, you want, when you have your thumbs together, you, you don't want it to jeopardize your ability to create a platform. It's got to be, you're saying. Yeah, well, you, that having the thumbs together is going to give you the symmetric, symmetry. Yeah. But you don't want your internal pressures on there. You just want them actually side by side. So if, and what happens is sometimes they need, the kids, they need to feel like a little bit of pressure, you know, or they feel too loose because you want them loose and rolled forward in the shoulder, right? Like when you, when you see good receivers, you're going to see like they're, they're kind of hunched back. Right. And then they're, you know, these shoulders are rolled forward, but they're not like squeezing up. They're relaxed, but they're rolled forward. Right. Now, if you say don't have any tension in your thumbs, well, they, they get, they get scared or you'll see this type of action. Right. Right. So you let them push their thumbs in, into their fingers, you know? So if I'm like that now thumbs are down and I'm pushing here a little bit into my hand and that gives them that kind of firm, that feeling that you want to feel stable. So you're looking for this. So often you have the next common error with the platform is, is their thumbs are not down, but the thumbs are up. Right. But if you look, look at the platform here, my thumbs are up this, what is this? The radius or the bone here that's exposed. Now I'm not sure what it's called. Now it's down. My thumbs right. are down. You know, my thumbs are up. My thumbs are down. So, so this just, is for, just for our listeners who can't see like when, when thumbs are up, um, the platform gets broken a little bit. It looks like, right. That, that well, bone or that, whatever that, that is your there. wrist bone. I yeah. That's it, it. I call it the shank bone. So it's <laughs> like, like you're going to shank the volleyball Yeah, because it gets in the way and it's very thin when exposed like that, when you have your thumbs up, but you put your thumbs down and you immediately have the in, interior part of your wrist there. That's your surface area increases. Right. Is that the same thing as when I, is when you <clears> say <throat> wrist down, when you teach that, when I hear, I say wrist down, but you like the thumbs because it, it, it's, it's more of a, Actually, I so kind of like the thumbs better because if you, when you if push you your have, thumbs down, if I'm point your thumbs down, basically yeah. two, two meters in front of you. Yeah. This is going to create this kind of reveal this critical part where you want to intervene with the ball. Right. The other part with that is like, if, if you, you know, if you wrist down or thumbs down, whichever it is, you know, and you, you kind of show them while you're, while you're saying it, obviously a couple meters in front of you is going to give you the, the angle because what you're going to see a lot mm -hmm. on receivers is this 90 degrees here. Right. This, this is going to be 90 degrees. Right. And so okay. that, that leads you to that, which words, are you too low? Is it too close to you? Are you too high in front of you for this nice, precise angle to, to reflect and, and bring that ball up. And this summer, like I'm, I was amazed this summer I was working with uh, the national team. We had uh, Joe Trinzi came up from the States to work a little bit with the team. And um, his float reception was awesome the way he would describe it and what to do. And I switched mine and, and, and molded more towards him because, well, he comes from the women's game as well, which is obviously like intense with the float serving. Mm -hmm. And um, so some of the things that he was describing, uh, you know, I went a quick, immediately went to test it, you know, it was awesome. And then I was looking and observing again and it's very good. So I had adapted more closer to for float teaching to his style uh, for bump reception of float. 
which is really crucial. And I got like, I usually use a board, like a, a wooden board. It's like a rectangle mm -hmm. to kind of show the athletes what you want to be able to do with that platform. And <clears throat> one of the most critical things about the way he was teaching the reception was that you never let that, you don't give up space a lot. So you don't back up to receive. I like, I, I, I like, for, especially for at least what I've had efficiency with my athletes is I don't mind one, one step back and a little bit of open up. And I, it's like a uh, tap dancing. Have you ever seen high level tap dancing? You know, when they, <laughs> this is going to be ridiculous, but you know, they, they kind of do that like hand out and then they shoot back, you know, like that. And yeah, that, yeah, 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 that yeah. movement, actually that movement is perfect for a reception. So you, cause you get shoot back quick, you keep the ball in front of you and you don't have to do this one. That's really tough way up over the back of your head. And then of course, with the hands, the difference between the men and the women is the men are using their hands a lot more. So it's a bit easier not to give up space for guys because then you go straight to the hands. So for float reception, again, you, you're looking at that from all the way from grappling position, shuffle, there's always a shuffle. That's what some people don't understand too. Like, you're going to be better, most likely, if you shuffle, even if your feet are like this and it's like one, two, mm -hmm. and it's a shuffle, shuffle strike, you know, and you're, you keep that ball in front of you. Even if you just take a platform, like a, like I was talking about, just like a rectangle and you keep it in front of you and you contact it in front of you, that ball in front of you, you'll see, like, try to contact it at the side and see what happens. You have to start to really manipulate your, your upper body. Right. Sorry. Can I just ask one thing? It's just to contact clarify. Well. Yeah. Uh, so the difference that he, sh that he showed you was he doesn't want to back up when passing a float or it's just that one step back versus what you were doing before. Yeah. Well, from my understanding from his school of thought was you try not to give up any space on the float. So, but I, you know, not all coaches are green and I, I, I would tell them quickly to back up if, if you one step. Yeah. You, know, you kind of open with your foot. So right. Like, I don't know. I'm going to lose this whole one. Mistake. Yeah, no problem. So it's like, there's a tap dance, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you do the tap dance and then you can keep it in front like this. Whereas if I'm here, some will, some will just tell you to rotate and you can come out to the side to keep that platform. Right. But I find it quite a bit easier to be able to do that one step to, to keep, keep the ball in front of me. Right. Well, so basically one step back open, and then you can create that angle. Yeah. But you don't want anything more than one step. But the thing is, is yeah. that when you're young, you're U15, what are you learning to do? Well, you're shuffling, moving back right. because the ball trajectory is like this. Right. Right. So it's, you shuffle, shuffle, shuffle back boop, or you walk back, boop, you know, so right away, <laughs> it's like, the number like it conflicts right away with the principle of high level reception versus what you're doing. But uh, when you're U15, you're just learning projectile interception. So where do you intervene with that ball? So U15 ball is slower, shuffle, shuffle, get to the position. The, it's the arc. That's even, even if it's not slower, it's the actual, it's the angles that are so different. Right. That end up, you know, in the time. So speed and angle causes a bit of like, you know, a, a technique that, that arrives that you actually need to bond, modify later. Okay. So let me ask you this. So you have a you're teaching a serve reception, you see a float coming, um, yeah. at the younger age group, I'm guessing with, with the arc and the serve, we're predominantly going shuffle, shuffle to get behind the ball. But if the serve is coming faster with more velocity, we're teaching one step, like step back, create the angle. Is that right? Well, I, I can't say how I would teach the U15. Yeah because I've never for a long period of time been in there. Probably I would teach the U15 the same way that I'm teaching right now. U17, 16. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't switch it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them shuffle too far back. I would make them use their hands. Right. And okay. uh, you know, and that's another, like just, we can get into that too. Well, let's just think about the float reception now, just to cover anything else. Sure. Um, I can give you a recap here really quickly. So you talked about a couple of principles. You said first principle is stance. You know, balance and speed intercepting the projectile. So balance is super important. Uh, the second principle we talked about was uh, be in the right spot at, and at the right moment. And we have to control the energy of the ball. So that's where you start talking about shuffling or the one okay, step we can nuance. We can nuance that right away, which yep. is basically there's like this moment of weightlessness. So 
What's really important is that they learn that they have to sacrifice all the, all the footwork and everything gets you to that moment where you, where you intervene at that moment. There's what I would refer to as this moment of weight, weightlessness. I've heard it referred to as a glide through on time, but basically you're sacrificing everything at that moment to be super stable in the upper body, even at the point of you might just fall over. So, because if you shuffle, like if I shuffle to intervene and I'm outside and as soon as my center of gravity crosses my knee out here, I would have to take another step with my right, or I would have to cross behind with my left. And this one gets, this one gets tricky. Hold on. That's a really interesting cue. The center of your gravity crossing your knee. Yeah. Well, because so as soon as it's on the outside, like if this is, I'm moving to my right, even though, yeah. like, you know, and if, as yeah. soon as I'm over my right knee, now I have nothing under me. Right. Right. But either your left leg is going to cross over. Normally your left leg would cross over probably behind or in front, obviously like one or the other, but I think it's more common depending on who you're with to see it go in the back. Yeah. But, but anyway, say I'm outside here. Now my center of gravity is over this knee outside. Now I'm making this reception at that moment of contact. I don't want to really either I'm gliding through and I'm getting ready to take that step. Yeah. The problem with that one is like, I don't find it as stable as yeah, just not dropping and falling, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because you're putting another, you're putting another action into your, your action. So anytime you're adding a movement, you're complicating it, you know? So I prefer just falling over sometimes, you know, what you'll see, what you'll see often is like over here and then an extra step to stop. But there's that precise moment when you say, receive the ball center of gravity is outside the knee. So I'm going to either fall over crossover or i'm going to do this shuffle step to stop so that maybe i can go the other direction or that i just have bounce again but at that moment when you contact the ball you cannot be putting any other forces in from your upper body because it just starts to react on the ball okay. so you need this like moment of weightlessness and that's created by actually just you know that you know like in women's volleyball they have that that set men do it now too for a read block where they kind of like and then they go left or right. They're just that moment of weakness. Split step. Split step, right? Yeah. For the block. And then they go right to go left, to go left, to go right. Well, that moment of weightlessness allows you to be precise. So you see the read and then you react. So that, but that's the feeling when you receive the ball at that moment, when you're contacting, and then sometimes you're going to fall over or you're going to catch yourself. The problem is you try to catch yourself too early sometimes because people don't like not being balanced. Mm -hmm. And then they put that energy into that leg to stop and boom, there goes a the ball. Right. Or they cross over, but you see like when they're contacting the ball, they're all like crossed up in the back of their legs and they don't have balance. So this is okay. why I prefer often for them to fall over and just get up quick. Or you go to the knee often in float reception. Okay. So to summarize the second principle, actually, I might do it poorly. So to summarize this, so the first principle we got is the balance and speed intercepting the projectile. Yeah. The second principle is um the moment of weightlessness so we're talking about right before contact whatever your it's position on, is. on contact on contact like you you know you, it'd be so hard to like say exactly when, but basically on contact is like you just want all the other forces out of your system and then the only force you want is from this leverage here it's it's give nudge or take give or take give, nudge or take this What's is remember this is float though right this, this is, is float. float yeah yeah fair enough yeah yeah yeah, because when you're talking about velocities on spin serve, it's very it's very difficult to just take all the energy out of the ball with the shoulder. Right. Some some will train that, but then you get if you're into the upward velocities of like 115, you know, it's you're you're gonna see those guys start to fall over as well because they're looking for this energy reduction. Okay. Uh, I want to move on to spin reception, but just want to so right, your first two principles. Um, uh, common errors we don't we want, we want to make sure we push our thumbs down because that helps with uh, any kind of forces going in the opposite direction to making sure that right so avert like avoid internal stress which flex you'll see it right away because the chest will flex the chest will flex that's a good chest key. chest needs yeah. to not be flexed completely loose all right and then the last thing was uh don't back up to receive floats at the, at the very least one step that's the maximum you would you would do yeah at the most one step and it's it's like it's not a full shuffle it's like this kind of tap dance open yeah <laughs> open up right. to one because you just you basically want to open up to one side or the other because you don't want to pass the ball right here. This is right. the most difficult spot to pass the ball. Uh, the last thing I want to finish with the float reception, and it's yeah, you kind of talked about this briefly. You know, it's uh, the women's side. 
you know, the, the men's side, we teach them to use our hands taking the float. Um, with the women's side, they, they use their platform predominantly. Question is, I've heard a lot of coaches say it's because uh, in the women's game, they generally don't have the strength to do it with their hands. Um, is there any truth to that? Uh, how do, like, why don't they take it with their hands more? Well, I would say the there's a couple. There's uh, the length of the, the size of the hand is going to affect that as well as strength, but not, not so much the strength of the hand. It's, it's the finger strength. So right now, one of the first principles I, I'll train is just finger strength. So I've got everyone every day, more or less, doing finger push-ups. Um, be careful with this yeah, because often their thumb is not strong enough to do uh, a finger push-up. And you need to take it slow. Like I go from the knees first and I'm doing an isometric and then we'll do like a full push-up later. And when they do the push-up, you got to be careful because you don't want that thumb. Like you don't want them to put their, their hand on the ground like this. Right, right. It needs right. to be open like this. Yeah. Because like this, what happens? Well, if you come up and you're training like that, and your your thumb yeah. gets in, you know, and your thumbs are hitting that ball first. That's one of the most common errors of overhead reception is that the thumb is forward, and you have to have the thumb backward to catch. You know, you see that shape right there for overhead reception, the spade. You know, you play cards. Yeah. So that's what you're looking for. A spade. I like that reference. You know? Yeah, that's good. But if you're looking for it here. You know, so common, we can just get into this right now. You might want to see it. It's fine. Yeah. But it's elbows, right? If my elbows are too high, look at my thumbs. They go down. They go down. Yeah. Right. And you're going to lose it on the bottom. If my elbows are too tight, you know, and it's field goal and not yeah. in trouble up top. You need to find the spade, but it can't be spade out. It needs to be spade in. So if you think about it, when you're getting ready to receive that ball, whoop, yeah. you know, it's going to go to my shoulder and that's, you just bring it up. Don't move it. You know, right. And then make sure it's nice and tight. So there's like, there's more, there's almost more cues for overhead reception than there is for, for bump in my opinion, but it's, okay. it's, it gets pretty tricky, but we can, we can explore that when you want. Got it. Okay. Let's, um, let's move to the spin. Okay. Unless you have anything else to add to the float. Uh, let's go to spin. Let's okay. Yeah. Let's go to spin. Okay. It's all yours. <laughs> yeah, all right. So the difference with the spin is, is again, is the trajectory. So, when the ball's coming over the net from the float, if you're playing high level float, it's actually dropping before it hits the net. This is just for any float servers. Like if your ball on the float is going up as it crosses the net, it's too easy. Right. Stop doing it. Figure out how to get it going down when it crosses the net. The absolute most tough float serve to receive is low and in front, low and right in the middle and front. This is the toughest serve to receive. So on spin, the thing is with spin is that, you know, with the float, the projectile is just basically, it's got this straight line. And then it's, it's basically kind of like a, you know, uh, what do you call those pitch of knuckleball, right? So mm. it's coming at you where the spin, the, the line is truer normally with the spin, but it's, it's coming like this and it's starting at the end of dive. And normally, you know, it's at the, at the very end, it's already starting to come down quite a bit. And if, and this is the difference, right? Because float would be impact like this and then spin is impact more like this. So, whereas with float, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking the ball and, and I'm, I'm, I can almost, sometimes I'll teach you the spin. It's like a tray, you know, you just have to get this, mm -hmm. this tray out and it's going to come and hit it with that angle and go and go up. Whereas if you did that with float, you know, you'd be taking all your balls here. So right. the angle, the angle of the impact from the ball changes everything. And although it might not look like that, but if you really slow it down frame by frame, you'll see it start to fall all the time at the end. Right. So mm. in that sense, you need and and basically just to preface this is anything I talk about with spin reception is almost identical for defense. Oh, interesting. So this is really like spin reception is the exact same process almost as as uh, defense. Okay. So the first thing, okay, same grapple position, right? You need to shoot fast and try. The thing about this now is you got to be able to go left and right uh, very quickly. So I'm already going to be wider in the feet then say float because with the float i'm going to shuffle but with spin basically you're just going you're almost just going to shift the weight if uh to give you like a model quick you know with the model here if you think about goalies right goalies moving fast left and right right so this is very similar like i need to i need to go over here fast right and then you've got to again like we talk about this this center of gravity here over your over your knee so you need to find the width for your athlete and the starting position that allows them 
to shift their weight in the direction of the ball without going necessarily over right. too quickly over the knee. Because one really common error is that you'll just see here, you'll go to do the reception, but you'll be too narrow. And when right. you shift, you shift your hip instead of your upper body. So if you're too oh, narrow and you shift right. your weight, your hip goes. Right. You don't want that. You want to shift over the knee because the best place to receive is right over that knee, but your center of gravity cannot be past the knee for the absolute best. And once it does, you probably are going to either again, fall over or you're right. going to do that catch step or you're going to do the glide through, but the glide through with the velocity on spin gets really difficult. Okay. That is amazing. Hold on. I, mean, I was trying to recap that because that was so significant. So in terms of your uh, the way, the way your stance is, you know, you have to, you have to find the right width for your athlete. Like you said, every athlete's different. So you, you don't want to be too narrow because if you're too narrow, then when you take the ball on the, uh, on either side of your body, your hip, your hip is out versus having a wide stance. And when you take the ball outside your body, your center is still behind your knee, therefore making you more balanced and be able to, you know, take that ball. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> now there's a couple really crucial things that I would teach when you're receiving spin so i don't know if i go if you'll be able to see it but probably well let's just start anyways the thing is is that there's a moment where you're getting ready for spin reception uh, i'm gonna bring this up see if i can see it okay so here i'm getting ready for my spin right i'm here yeah now really common error you're they're hinged too much here they're hinged at the waist too much okay so we want to be hinged over a lot yeah you don't want to be hinged over necessarily makes so, sense but you but you don't want to be straight up again right. You look at that high level reception when they contact the ball, you're going to see this 90. 90 with your platform and your, your core. Between your arm and your, and your torso, you're going to see 90 degrees a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay. On that, on that high level. And it's replicated a lot. Right. Now, one thing that's really important, your center of gravity has to be slightly forward because if, if not, what happens, you know, is, is guys sit down too much. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. way too low. Because we yeah. tell them, get, get low, get low. And it's like, well, now you're sitting and squatting. I don't even yeah. know if I could do this without holding on. But now <laughs> yeah. you cannot move forward. Yeah. The only ball that you can get forward is like right here and here. This is, this is a disaster, right? Right, so, right. So <clears throat> I, I coach a lot. If I don't know if you're going to be able to see this, but your knees have to be over your toes. Knees over Let's toes, try, right? Like, okay, so there you go. Just past, right? Right. So they got to be careful when you say knees over toes, though, because I was teaching one guy and, and he was literally trying to put his knee over his toe. So he was going, you know, just past. Yeah. yeah, if, yeah. You, if you tie the string and you just from the from your knee, you let the string fall down with gravity. It's literally just going to hang down. If you drew a, if you drew a line between your big toes. Yeah. And you had a parallel there. It would just be in front of that line, like maybe a centimeter. OK. But this is super important because you'll. <laughs> My glutes are killing me now. But, uh, so this is really important because this is allows you to move quickly. And much like the block prep, you know, you'll see in spin at high level, you'll see this little prep. That moment of weightlessness for precision. So moment of weightlessness, you read, boom, you move one way or the other, or you get ready to, to take the one right at you. Mm -hmm. So this kind of knees past the toes this allows you to have this nice quick moment of weightlessness. Boom. So the weight is going to be on the balls of your feet, but your heel yeah. should still be on the floor. Okay. Yeah. This, yeah, I is, see that. this is a big, this is because this is a balance issue now. Right. So what you'll see is you'll be like, get your weight forward and guys will go up on their toes, but they don't have balance. Right. So you can have the weight on the balls of your feet. But your heel's still on, even though there's not a lot of weight on it, it's still attached to the floor because that right. gives you the balance that you need, even though you're in a very, like, you're in a position where you can move fast, but you have the balance as well. Right. Okay, got it. No, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, continue. Sorry. So I, I got the uh, same with the grapple position. Um, feet are a bit wider than the float. We want to shift our weight without having the center of gravity above our knee. Um, you know, weight on the balls of your feet, but heels are still attached to the floor. So that's mm -hmm. really good. Yeah, well done. Hey, okay. I'm doing an interview, guys. You can say hi, and then you got to you gotta go. Okay. Hello. For those of you listening, my kids just walked in. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay, Daddy's got to work. I love you, too. All right. Yeah, so then I got, yeah, so weight on the balls of your feet, but heels are still attached to the floor. That's where we right. got so far. Yeah, it's just that you just, if they're not, you're in a really flexed position, and then you'll start to be a bit, a bit less balanced. Okay. Perfect. Anything else to, for a spin reception? 
Okay, so within the, you should see this kind of like hun hunched back scenario. Yeah. You know, and then when I'm getting, you'll see this now. So if you're this, you got to really nuance these things because, you know, this is where people are like, start with your hands out, you know, mm. and, and keep them in front of you. Problem is you're already flexed here. Right. So at a certain shoulder. velocity, you're not going to be able to catch the ball because if you're already flexed, mm. like if your arms are up, as soon as you, as soon as you raise your arm, all your delts are flexing here. Right. So you're now you're locked. You're, you're flexed already. Mm -hmm. If you want to move really fast, you have to not be flexed and then you flex. You, that's what makes you move, right? Right. You watch the sprinters, the runners, you know, they're in the slow motion of their face. They're super relaxed. Right. Well, right. This is, you know, like when the ball's coming at you at 120K, you tend to tighten up. So, you so need, flexed on contact. That's what you want. Flex I, right before. I, I don't even know. Like, I would, like, I wouldn't even say flex because you yeah. want to avoid, like, this was my problem, right? Like, I was. I was hands down one of the best receivers, especially on spin in, mm -hmm. at about 20 years old. And, but I was really, I, it was a board, you know, everything was flexed and I could just, but then, you know, I got, I went over to France, started playing and I, I would be able to precisely put the ball wherever I wanted in the mm -hmm. direction, but I couldn't hold it. I just kept bumping it over, kept giving slashes over mumps. Mm. And uh, I was like, Oh my God, like what's going on here. But it was just, you know, the ball just moved 10 K faster. Mm -hmm. And I just, my technique topped out at like one, one Oh five. Right. And though right away I, I was like panic mode. I, and then, so sense of urgency is going to create this like need to change. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it if I don't figure this out. So I just started observing everybody. And what I realized was that all these guys in France, they were super loose in the shoulders. They were loose in the arms. Right. So what it is, is it's like on that moment of contact, you need a certain amount of firmness. So that you don't break, you know, or that you're not just say jello. Right. But whereas in float, we should actually revisit that float. Okay. You need to, you want to be locked out. Absolutely. Okay. Like bending your arms and getting it inside. That's a bailout. Before yes. that, you should be trying to lock out and make sure that you manipulate and swivel. And or for our it. listeners, locking out just means like dead your straight elbow. platform, no yeah. bend in the elbow at all. Ele elevated shoulders, right? Get them out. Yeah, there. you want those kind of rolled forward, but not not super tense. But when you lock out, you're gonna you're gonna flex it. Your everything's gonna flex when you're locked out. Yeah. Now on spin, because if you do that, you've created a hard surface. Right. But on spin, if your surface is too hard after a certain velocity, boom, it's overbump for sure. Unless you're so quick to be able to pull, you know, which again, if you're flexed, you're not even going to be able to move that fast. So this is the discrepancies and you really got to, you got to dial in a nuance and know like what you're going to be competing against. Right. Right. So you might have great success with that in university. Like I did. And then as soon as I went international, boom, over city. So it's like, so I had to relax completely my shoulders, the tension that, so I needed mm -hmm. to feel though tension because I didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the tension what I'm talking about is in the fingers, you know, yeah. when I would get ready, but now my, I would, yeah, I'm going, it looks like I'm locked out, but I'm not locked out and flexed. Right. Right. I'm, I am like, yeah, more or less my elbows locked out, but it's not flexed. You can see the tricep will go if you're flexed. Yeah. It's not, you know, and then it hits you. And what will happen is the impact of the ball, a little bit of break. Right. But and that's I'm okay. Not, but I'm not breaking it. The ball, the contact is breaking it. And that's right. the difference. So you'll see guys go like this and they'll try to pull it in too quick, you know? Yeah. It's the impact that causes, because I'm not flexed out, the impact causes a little bit of the break. And that's okay. That's okay. Okay. That's great. That's for high velocity. Right. If, you, if you're teaching you 16, 17, sorry, 18. Sorry, Dan, what's up? What's up? Oh. Yeah, I should meet you. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So, like, it's, again, it's like, what's your enemy? like what what are you going into battle against like and then what's the goal of the athlete and what's the you know if they want to go to the inner now i've got the u17 guys and i'm already i've got the ball over 100 at them all the time right and i show them like when they're when if they're super flexed out if they're too tight they're gonna they're shanking it they can't move quick left and right make those like small adjustments so first first spin reception just to go over it like this kind yeah. of like grappling position I, yeah, my hands are up. I'm ready to receive. But if I'm flexed out like this, I can't, I can't move fast and be sensitive. Yeah, so don't, so don't present your platform early at all. It can see, this is like, you got to be careful of what you're saying here because then they're going to be too late. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Thing I is, mean, is like that before, you cannot like, be, you cannot be there. It's, it's on time. That's, yeah. that's the nuance on time. Yeah. I yeah, got it's it. It's on time. It's not like early or late. It's on time. 
I, I like so, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, so if you're having trouble and you're always late, yeah, get it up a little bit earlier, but don't, don't get them out here or flex. Shoulders to the elbow should just be gravity. You know, now I can be, I can still be ready, move quick and have, and be out there to meet the ball. Right. Because if like, think about it this way and just, just the principle of that inner uh, projectile interception, remember like T-ball and, and baseball at a young age, Yeah, you have that classic picture of the person in the center field or whatever out there. And they've got their hand up. I got it. I got it. I got it. And what, you know, the yeah. ball falls inside. <laughs> well, if yeah. you're out there locked out too early, that's what's going to happen. You cannot make that real sensitive adjustment at the end. Okay. So you got to be careful about it. If you're too late, obviously you're going to be too late. Okay. Got it. Okay. This is crazy. This is amazing. I, I I'm only, I'm not even get through half the questions I wanted to get through, which is fine. Cause this conversation was amazing by itself. Um, okay. So just to recap, uh, we'll talk about the spin reception. So you got the grapple position, you know, wider at the feet, uh, knees slightly like one centimeter over toes, yeah, past, um, like past you know, just so it's not because like your knees sometimes will go out over toes, go out. Yeah, yeah, that's center, right. but like center of gravity, one percent forward at least, right? Yeah. Knees you past wanna, toes, right? You want to shift the weight without having the center of gravity above your knee. Uh, so you want to be able to shift left and right, you know, like goalie fast, yes. Um, the center of gravity is just slightly forward, right? Which puts automatically as soon as like, say you're neutral, right? And you're completely flat footed. If you're neutral, as soon as you shift a little bit forward, the weight's going to go to the, your big toe. The weight's going to go to the balls of your feet. Okay. You want that. And then, but you don't want to be up. You don't want to be up on your toes. You have to be flat footed, but weight full weight on the balls of your feet. Right. That makes sense. Yep. Um, so your feet are still intact with the ground. You're not, you're not coming off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then flexed on contact is what we have. Uh, and you want to be on time, not too early and too late, you know, on time. And then it, you don't want to be so, you don't want to be so tense and super, super flexed. Cause then if it, if it hits on a, on a spin serve only, if it yeah. hits it, you know, it's going to, it can ricochet, it can, it can be overpassed, especially when the ball gets yeah. faster. As so, you mentioned. But I would say on a free ball, a down ball, like, yes you can be locked out and you, yes. would, I would encourage it. So down ball, like 80 K or less. Yeah. You can be locked out like float. Right. But then there's that moment where the velocity changes and you're going to, you're going to have to relax the elbows a little bit and not be so tense and the shoulders. So it's like, like, uh, I think it was also transient. It said big, it was using some kind of phrase, but basically it was like, you have all these ways you can take the energy out of the ball. Yeah. So you can, you have, I think he would use uh, degrees of freedom, you know, and, and I liked it too, because it's like, it's a bunch of different um, shoulders, hands, the platform, the legs, right. the, your entire body, like what, so we're, we're, where I, we needed to nuance everything when I was working in the summer with these guys was uh, the, the velocity of the spin changed the impact and it changed the trajectory and that changed the technique needs and the mechanic needs. So. You know, if, if someone preferred that they didn't fall down, I was like, well, then you got to find a way to, to take all that energy out, you know? And so either you've got to increase how much you're pulling out of the ball, you mm -hmm. know, or you let it push you back. Like often on spin reception, you do move back, but you, the ball, the impact moves you back, mm -hmm. you know, like, like sometimes the impact might break a little bit here and might mm -hmm. pull your shoulder. Like this is like suspension almost, right? Like mm -hmm. this, this action, if it's loose, it'll get, you know, the ball hits me. It's actually like almost like a shock, right? This is coming, right. you know, and this is a little bit of bent. And then I'm, I'm probably moving back and I'm pulling back a little bit. Right. So all of those things are like opportunities to take the energy out of the ball. Right. But if you initiate them, any of them are not on time, you're in trouble. Right. The, the impact is the timing. So let the impact do the job. You don't have to do anything. If you're, you don't, you almost don't have to do anything as long as you're have this kind of moment of weightlessness. And then the ball will push you and inevitably you'll see like really high level of receivers. So, you know, you take a look at anybody. Yeah. Normally they're going to take one or two little, like, it's like you got punched. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then the boxer goes boom, boom. And they step, they yeah. step back, you know, one, two kind of thing. So you take that impact. It's like, Oh, they might, they might take a little step back after the impact. Right. You know, and then they're into their approach yes. or you're going to, if you have to get really low, like if you, if the projectile is causing you to get too low and I'm, and I'm knees over toes, just past the toes so that I can move quickly to the side, I'm going to fall over. Right. You know, so I'm going to go quickly. My knees are to shoot over here and I'm receiving. Now I contact. Now I have to fall because I center of gravity right. is going past my knee. 
That's right. Now, if I try to catch myself at that velocity, I'm putting energy into my body. Yeah. Say goodbye to the ball. Yeah, that's right. So you fall okay. over a lot more on spin. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. That's fantastic. Uh, again, I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, do you have another 10, 15 minutes? Uh, wife will get mad, but probably. Okay. How, how about 10? Will you do 10? 10 is good. Yeah. Okay. Let's do 10. Okay. The last thing, well, one of the things I want to talk about, I'll just prioritize is attacking with a block. Um, that seems to be one of the toughest issues coaches have been facing is, you know, when my hitter goes up, you know, they're, they're not looking at the block or they're uh, just swinging without not. a purpose. <laughs> if they're yeah. looking at the block, they're not looking at the ball. So now they're already in big trouble. Okay. There you go. All right. They're, they're not, basically they don't, they don't see what's happening. You know, how can we train our hitters to, you know, if there's no block, recognize that if there's a, if there's a one-on-one -on -one, recognize that make a decision. If there's a one-on-two, one on or a triple block sealed, how do we teach our hitters to make good decisions so they can convert? You know, the biggest problem I hear coaches is we're not converting. We're in system or we're out of system. We're not converting because there's a block in front of us. You know, how, do, how do we approach that? So when you say converting, you mean like transition attack? Like scoring, like scoring, scoring a point. Like a break point or any point. Yeah, any point. Oh, yeah, yeah, any point. Because yeah. of attack. That's correct, yeah. And because they're not able to identify like the threat of the block. Right. Okay. So first thing is you got to look at the ball. So how are you going to look at the block if you're looking at the ball? You have to use your peripheral vision. Okay. The first thing you can do is you can just, you can see first, some guys probably just are never going to see the block. Okay. So if they're never going to see the block, that's true. It's just like some guys, like, because usually you have a dominant eye, right? So what if, if, if I'm swinging in position four and my right eye is more dominant, then I'm watching that projectile already. I'm at a disadvantage. I can't see the block. Mm-hmm. Because my, if my right eye is more dominant, I'm probably less likely to be able to pick up that block. Mm -hmm. I probably have better relationship with my receivers, probably have a better timing pattern with my setter because you know, you're on that side of your face. And then I'm going to be late probably to see the block. So don't, don't kill yourself in that situation. Like, but you can, there's certain ways you can attack that doesn't matter if you have the block there or not. Okay. So let's, let's just go really to the basic. Like, if you're swinging on a ball, like, first of all, it's really important, especially at the younger levels that you, you put that ball in a position where they have, can hit two angles. Mm -hmm. So preferably line and cross, mm -hmm. you know, and I would take line and cross over middle cross and sharp cross. I would, I would prefer my hitters be able to hit line and then deep a diagonal if they can yep. only have that range. So if you're swinging high line, and you're keeping it high and you're hitting that last meter of the court, probably more often than not, if it hits the block, it's either going to be a block out or a recycle. I mean, if you're looking at the block here and I'm blocking you and this is line, you know, if you're hitting up here, you're either going to like block out line is the best shot in volleyball. Right. And like, if you, that is, there's, there's no on your side, right. Block out line on your side. There's no better attack because it's on, there's nothing to defend, right? Block right. out on their side. They, it's hard, but they can still defend it. Play continue through six is a nightmare. Yeah. You know, and then often they don't have enough power at, at the younger age to hit the cross and block out the other side. So what you're saying is if you're aiming just in general, if you're yes, aiming well, even the without line, the block, if you're swinging the high line, yeah, you're really less likely to get blocked. And if you are blocked, it's going to be an, e an easier recycle. Right. You know, so this, this is, would be Good the point. place where I'd start. If you're hitting high, deep cross. You're probably not going to get blocked. You're going to get a recycle, but you're more likely to get a play continue for the other team that comes back versus a line play continue. Right. So make sure your, your young athletes can hit high line and make sure that they're really crucial about this is like, even at a young age, they need to learn to broad jump a little bit, a little like, so, I mean, if we take position four or two or, mm -hmm. you know, you need them jumping through the zone towards the diagonal. Mm -hmm. Come on, five more minutes, okay? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> you're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> well, we got mammy. We got a great grandma's um, brunch birthday today. Uh, okay, that's okay. We planned it to to go at this time. Anyway, so you need to be jumping through the zone and being able to first hit that deep cross court. Okay, even though that line is gonna be super super valuable, jump broad, jump, hit the deep cross court, and then be able to hit you know weight one ball and hit the line high. So right. just, just because what happens all the time is that, especially in position four, and I mean, this is when you're young volleyball, this is where all the ball, all, all the action yep. is in position four, yep. but they're outside the line, jumping straight up, waiting for the ball to arrive at them. Right. You know, and then inevitably the ball's inside and then they have to take. 
Right. So they have to approach in such a manner that they're more or less their chest can face direction six. You know, another common mm -hmm. error is their shoulder is in the net. They're facing the setter already. So mm -hmm. now they have like either this internal line that only like Gino Brusso can score with internationally. Yeah. You know? Or you need, you need that chest facing more six, six, one, open up, hit the cross or one more ball. And then you hit the line. But if you're not coming on that angle, jumping through that zone, your window, like if you're just jumping straight up and that ball is coming in, if it's a little bit short, you, you have nothing. And that's why you have to see all these kind of like internal swipes. Like I'm dealing with this with the younger athletes. So I'm dealing with that, that internal swing because they're not going through the zone and then taking that ball really, really high right now. So when you say the angle, you're talking about the six, five seam like that. Well, like if you're, approach? if you're approaching, maybe you're like, if you don't receive and you shuffle out and then you're getting ready to do that four step approach, you know, yeah. maybe you're like half a meter outside the line or something like this. Yeah. If you're, if you're running towards that, getting ready to jump, you're basically like, I want my athletes to jump about from the line. Mm -hmm. If they're a huge jumper, they can get away as long as they're broad jumping through, but they'll jump from the line, the side, say the position for the left sideline. Yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll land, you know, at least a half a meter inside. So the set, you know, if the set's out too far, because what happens is the athletes jump straight up outside the line, then they hit cross from that position. And then the opposing position two blocker can block them line and cross from the same position. Mm -hmm. You're putting zero stress on that blocker. So if you jump from the line and you take the ball, like if you have like a half a meter, like when they're younger, they don't have these big jumps. Yeah. So you have to, yeah, they have to, they'll have a smaller window, but they still have to get into this habit of jumping through the zone towards say position six. Right. They'll hit the cross court like that. And then they'll hit the line similar, but a little bit, you know, six one, and then they'll, right. they'll take it. So this now when you're, you should probably just put them in often in your training with a big, big block and get on the box, do some box work, you know, just put, you know, in, for instance, in hitting warm up, get a box out, get the coach on the box, get the block in their face when they're hitting warm ups. say, look yeah. at the ball and it's tell me what, what, how many hands I have up one or two. You know, right. I don't know anything like that. Yeah. You have to, you have to find a way to like give them that variable when they're hit more often, if they can't see the block. Right. Okay. So every hitting warm up, just get on the box and get in front of them and like, okay, I got one hand or two hands and you have to don't, you know, watch the ball the whole time, but just tell me how many hands I had up there. Right. Okay. That's fantastic. Listen, I, I know you, you got to go. So we're going to, we're yeah, going to wrap this I up. I appreciate that. Well, anytime, you know, we can like, we can talk shop all the time. It's, it's no worries, fun. man. They all listen Guys, listening to this pod, you're going to have to come back. You're going to have to make some notes. I have a ton of notes on my end as well. So if you're driving, you're going to have to come back and listen to this. But Dan, thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it. We got a treat to listen to. Talking about passing for an hour, that is that is a treat anytime we can do that. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Uh, thank your family for taking the time too as well. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Okay. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Brian. All right. Cue the music. Look. Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.